Good evening, and welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church in Prysat, Missouri. I am Scott George, and it is my privilege to be your announcer on this Ash Wednesday. The Reverend Jake Sletton will deliver this evening's message. Assisting in the service are the organist, Mrs. Susan Seniger, and the acolytes, Carson Ray and Vanson Minning. Tonight's broadcast is being sponsored by funds donated to the broadcast ministry of Trinity Lutheran Church. This broadcast is dedicated to the glory of God. The order of worship this evening will follow the service of prayer and preaching on page 260 of the Lutheran Service Book. May God bless us as we worship together. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Ash Wednesday service for this evening. It's good to be with you all here in the Lord's house to worship Him on this very special night. As we kick off our Lenten season, you'll notice that there are no bulletins tonight. That's because the order of service that we're going to follow is in your hymnal. So if you turn in your hymnals to page 260 in the front part, the order of service that we're going to follow, almost to a T, is called the Service of Prayer and Preaching page 260, so you'll want to have one of those ribbons in there as we go along. Page 260, the service of prayer and preaching. Tonight begins, as I said, our Lenten season. We are going to be, during these midweek services, we are going to be going through a series called Walking by Faith, the Art of Living by Faith. It was written by Dr. Charles Aaron at Concordia seminary. The, sem the sermons that I will be preaching are his, uh, but I will be um, preaching those, and I've kind of modified them just a little bit, uh, but it, it was written by Dr. Aaron, and I, I really, really hope and think that you guys are going to really, really like it. A little bit later on in the service, between the time that we recite the Ten Commandments together and the sermon, we will be doing the imposition of ashes. Okay. Um, myself and Glenn Overman will be here distributing those. What we're going to do is we're going to just have two lines. Those folks who are on this side just form a single file line here. One of us will be standing here. Those folks on this side just form a single file line here. And one of us will be standing here. For seven years, almost eight years, coming this July of my ministry, every Ash Wednesday I have said the same thing. From dust you came and to dust you shall return. That's a pretty common saying during Ash Wednesday. But I was reading something last night and I decided that maybe that's not the most theologically accurate thing to say. The reason for that is because, well, what if Jesus comes back tomorrow? If Jesus comes back tomorrow, then none of us will be returned to ash. We will all be going to heaven with him. So instead of hearing from dust you came and to dust you shall return, you will be hearing repent and believe the gospel. Let us turn away from our sins, from the sin that we were born with, and instead believe the good news about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has given us the forgiveness of our sins through his death and through his resurrection. And I believe that's all the pre-service announcements that we have. So, let's begin. Our opening hymn is From Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee. It's number 607. 607. From Depths of Woe, I Cry to Thee. Number 607.
surprise. We continue with the opening versicles. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. From the Lent Responsory. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repents of evil. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our reading tonight for this Ash Wednesday is the sermon text. It comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4. Paul writes, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. <clears throat> For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom, we, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is the word of our Lord. We now recite Lent Responsory number two. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. Please rise. We will now recite together the Ten Commandments that you see printed there in your hymnal. <clears throat> you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Please be seated. <clears throat> and as Glenn makes his, his way forward, just a few words about Lent before we have the imposition of ashes. Lent is simply a time of reflection. It is a time of remembrance. The great Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that if we do not understand the cost of the gospel and the cost for which our salvation was purchased at, it becomes very cheap and grace becomes cheap. But if we understand the cost, if we have a full realization as much as our human minds are capable of doing, it ceases to become cheap grace and becomes costly grace. It is that costly grace that throughout this Lenten season that we will ponder, that we will think about, that we will pray about. And it is my encouragement to all of you here this evening, to all who are not here, that during this Lenten season, don't just let Wednesday nights be the only time that you think about Lent. May it be every night. May it be at the supper table. May it be in your prayers as families. May we continue to reflect on this very costly grace, this very costly gospel that was won for us. Let us never forget that the depth to which God hated sin, and still does, was found and put on the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. Let us also remember that the depth of the love of his creation, of the Father's creation for us, was also found on and in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I invite all of you now who wish to, to make two separate lines, one on this side and one on this side, to come forward for the imposition of ashes.
Will you all pray with me, please? Dear God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you be this evening from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We all love a good story. Stories inspire us. They move us to action. They make us cry. They make us laugh. Stories help us to make sense of things. And we tell stories so that people know who we are. Stories embody our values. That's why this year, in 2017, the story of the Reformation will probably get a fair amount of attention in the press and in the church. It marks the beginning of the modern age for some. For us, the story of the Reformation relates the values that are important to us and that define us. As an example, that we are saved by grace because of what Jesus did for us by faith alone, Scripture alone. And so, with the beginning of Lent, we once again embark upon a journey in which we follow Jesus as he moves determinedly toward a future that results in his crucifixion and his subsequent resurrection. Now, it's interesting that what we include in the story and what we exclude from the story says something about what is important to us and what is not as important to us. In this case, the gospel writers do not spend much time on the life of Jesus as a child or as a teenager. Instead, they focus mostly on the last three years of his life. Even more specifically, they devote most of their time to the telling of the story of Jesus during the last week of his life. Why? Why emphasize that? A large part of it is, is that they emphasize this part of Jesus' life because this is the key to understanding why Jesus matters at all, why Jesus is significant. This is the key to unlocking the importance of his life for us. It is these last three years, and especially his last week, in which Jesus carries out the mission for which he entered the very world that he had created. It is a mission in which he set out to reclaim his father's world from Satan and from all those who sought to destroy it. It is a mission in which he set out to restore his father's world to be what they had intended it to be when they first made it. And so we follow in the footsteps of Jesus as he makes his way to the cross into the empty tomb. <clears throat> but this year, the story of Jesus' journey takes on a special historical quality. For here in 2017, we make that journey in a year in which we commemorate and celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. In 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses about the heart of the Christian faith. Now, many, if not most people in America, have little familiarity with Martin Luther or of 16th century Germany. Most are going to be much more familiar with Martin Luther King Jr., who is vastly important, but for different reasons. 
But the story of the Reformation is important for Christians everywhere, whether they be Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Lutheran. And the question is why? Luther posted the, his 95 theses for discussion and debate within the church because he had become convinced that the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem had become diluted in such a way that it had stopped being a gospel story. For after all, that's what the word gospel means. Good news. It had stopped being a good story of good news for you and for me. The focus of Jesus' story shifted from what Jesus did for us to what we must do for ourselves. With Jesus' help, to be sure, but in, in the end, well, everything really depended on us. The story had ceased to be, a, to, be a, to be a gospel story, a story of truly good news, and had instead become a story of how to become a moral person, in which we are urged to imitate Christ and become like Christ, if we have any hope of being saved. I cannot think of a more impossible and burdensome task than this. And so in its place, Luther then proposed, or better yet argued, that we are not saved by our works in which we imitate Christ. Because Jesus' story is more than a story that should inspire us and motivate us to pursue perfection. Jesus' story was more than just a tragic story with a happy ending. Instead, the story of Jesus is a gospel story. It is a good news story. But what makes this story a good news story? What is it that makes this story a story that even matters to us? In a very real sense, this is your story. In a very real sense, the gospel surprises us by declaring that this is your life. Everything that Jesus did in life and in death, he did it for you and for me. Everything he did in life and in death was to benefit you and me. And everything that he did in life and death was to open up our future with God. This is what makes it a good news, a gospel story. So what is it then that makes this story a story of your life? How is the story of Jesus your story? Well, it's really quite simple. This is a story that came with a promise. One of the most important things that we can do is to grasp that God is not only a God of love, but a God of conversation. A God who makes promises and then stands by those promises because he is faithful. God has given a promise to you and to me. He promises that everything that Jesus did is done for you, for your benefit, both now and into everlasting life. Luther directs us to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and the righteousness that is revealed there. Righteousness simply means that we conform or fit the pattern or we measure up to the standard. I'll say that one more time. Righteousness means that we conform or measure up to the standard. In this case, it is to be the human creature that God envisioned and created us to be. For most of his life, Luther thought that this passage referred to righteousness that God demanded from
from us. I'll say that once more. Luther thought that this passage from Romans meant the righteousness that God demanded from us. This is how you must live if you wish to be in God's favor. This is what you must do if you want to be saved. Everything that Jesus does for us is to acquire righteousness, to restore our humanity as God had originally intended. When we hear or read about the story of Jesus, we need to realize that everything that happens, every event and every moment is taking place and being done for you and for me. You could almost put your own name in. This was done for Jake. This was done for Herschel. This was done for Susan. This was done for Orville. And all of you here, you could put your name in and that's what it's for. It was done for you. When Jesus is transfigured, he is doing that for you. When he institutes what we have come to call the Lord's Supper, he has done that for you. When he sweats blood in Gethsemane, he is doing that for you. When he dies on the cross, he is doing that for you. I like to sometimes think that when Jesus was looking ahead as he was carrying his cross and he was looking ahead to Calvary, to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to his death, he saw your face and he saw my face. And when he rises victoriously from the grave, he does it for you as well. The gospel is not just a story, but it is a story with a promise. If you were to put it into a mathematical equation, it would look something like gospel equals story plus the promise of a new life. Gospel equals story plus the promise of a new life. This is why it is good news. In many ways, the promise is, even, is an even better word for gospel than good news. And this is for several reasons. First, news is often impersonal. It is abstract. We can read it in old-fashioned newspapers, read it online, or we can get our news, perhaps fake news, from social media. We can hear it from the mouth of our favorite news anchor. But they are speaking to a camera and an audience that exists somewhere out there in TV land. With the gospel, God speaks to you personally, one-on-one. -on -one. He does so through his servants. He does so through baptism. When he says, I baptize you and I claim you as my very own. It is no mistake that whenever somebody is baptized, whether they are a baby or an older adult, the name of that person is pronounced. Because, I, because the Spirit is baptizing you, filling your name in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the Lord's Supper, he puts into our mouth the very promises of the forgiveness of sins with the body and blood of Jesus. Folks, it's personal with God. Also because God stands by his promise. Why did Abraham and Sarah believe God's promise? 
They had no reason to. Abraham was well advanced in years, and there was no way humanly possible that Sarah was going to have a baby. Because they knew who was their God. Because they knew that God is faithful, that God is reliable. Timothy says if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now when you think about it, the very nature of a promise is that it seeks to awaken and strengthen faith. After all, why do we make promises to one another? It is not to, I'm sorry, is it not to strengthen the confidence of the person to whom we make the promise that we will follow through? This is exactly what a bride and a groom do. They make a promise to one another that they're to give their beloved confidence and joy in knowing that you, their spouse, will always be there for them. This means that the art of living by faith is the art of living in the dependence on the promises of God. I will say that one more time. It means that the art of living by faith is the art of living in dependence on the promises of God. In some ways, faith is an art because while we receive salvation by faith, in the very moment that faith is kindled, it takes time for us to live in that faith, day in and day out, moment by moment. You see, trusting God's promises meant one thing for me when I was an 18-year-old single man, and it means something completely different now that I am married and I have kids and I go to work. The art of living by faith involves how we make sense of the world in which we live and how we make sense of our place in it. It involves our life as the people of God known as the church. And it involves our life within the world in which we live among many who do not know who their creator is or know of his love for them in Jesus. In case we have forgotten every single person that we meet, every single person that is in our lives, every single human being that exists on this world is a person that God created. Every single one of them. And there are so many that do not know of the Creator. There are so many that do not know of His immense and boundless love for them. For that is the relationship between God and us. God gives and we receive. So then to be righteous is to be the person God envisioned us to be, namely to be people who rest in the hands, confident that these hands of God belong to one whose love for us is boundless and inexhaustible. It means that we seek to have our faith in the promises of God renewed and strengthened through his gracious promises that are spoken in sermons, absolution, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Our life within the church is a life where faith is given, birth, nourished, and strengthened. It involves our life within the world as well. The art of living by faith means that we learn to turn our minds toward God throughout the day by means of prayer, when we get up, when we eat, and when we go to bed. 
It means that we live out or exercise that faith in love towards others within the various walks of life that God has placed us in. This includes the workplace, the community that we live in, and especially, especially our own homes. Nothing in this world can compare with the art of living by faith. It is an incredible adventure, and it is incredibly freeing. We all remember and have sang at one point or another that old children's song, he's got the whole world in his hands. It captures very nicely, very wonderfully, the art of living by faith. For to live by faith is to live in the confidence that God holds us in his hands. Indeed, God, God holds this entire world in his hands. And yes, there are certainly times that it seems less comfortable than we might like as we go through the various trials and tribulations of this life. And I, I love this last part that, that he wrote. Those hands that he holds you in and me in and this entire world in, those hands still bear scars of the nails that pierced him. And thus, they remain the hands of him whose love for us knows no bounds. My life is secure, both now and forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. We now sing our next hymn, number 702, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, number 702, 702.
At this time, we will collect our tithes and offerings. The Lutheran Hour is our church's witness in the public marketplace. To learn more about the inspirational Lutheran Hour ministry, visit www.lutheranhour.org. Listen to the Lutheran Hour program each Sunday on a radio station near you. Trinity offers a children's Sunday school and adult Bible studies at 845 on Sunday morning, a men's Bible study on Wednesday morning and several ladies' Bible studies throughout the week. Call the church office at 417-235-7300 for more information. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season, up through Holy Week, and then Easter. On Ash Wednesday, on Wednesday evenings, we will be holding Lenten services at seven o'clock. Uh, not sure we're going to be broadcasting, we do wish you would join us for these. We continue then with the prayers that are found in the service of prayer and preaching, the service that we have been following. Please rise. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the gift of divine peace and of pardon, with all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. For the Holy Christian Church, here and scattered throughout the world, and for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. For this nation, for our cities and communities, and for the common welfare of us all, let us pray to the Lord. For seasonable weather and for the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. For those who labor, for those whose work is difficult or dangerous, and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. 
for all those in need, for the hungry and the homeless, for the widowed and the orphaned, and for all those in prison, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. For all of those that we know who are suffering, whether it be physically, spiritually, or emotionally, especially for those that we name before the especially for those that we name before the Lord in our hearts now. Let us pray to the Lord. Finally, for these and for all of our needs of body and soul, let us pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, protect us in our battle against evil. And so as we begin the discipline of Lent, may we use this season as a time of self-denial, reflection, and to pick up our cross and follow the crucified one. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart. That, but the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we say together Luther's evening prayer. <clears throat> I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this day. <clears throat> and I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. <clears throat> Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen. Please be seated. We close with our closing hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, number 425. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, number 425. It has been our pleasure to bring you this worship service from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Missouri. We pray that you have benefited spiritually from this service. We invite you to worship with the members of Trinity next Sunday at 10 a.m. 
or next Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're not able to be with us in person, we invite you to join us at www.freistatradio.com where you can listen to a live stream or a podcast of a prior service. We commend you to the loving care of our gracious Heavenly Father. May His love surround you. May His mercy be evident to you in all things. Your announcer has been Scott George. We now conclude this broadcast.